and welcome to the Common Sense Gospel. I'm Danny Simmons. And I'm Kurt Norbert. And today we're going to spend some time looking at the word discernment and what it means in the Bible. Uh, to discern or to be able to discern literally means to detect, uh, to come to know and to recognize, to see and understand the difference. So that, I mean, that's just the dictionary's definition of it. To see and understand the difference. And the Bible uses this word in a, in a way that's got a lot of weight to it. Uh, it's extremely important that God's people are able to discern between good and evil. So we should be able to see, recognize, and understand the difference, um, whether we're looking at something that is sin or that is of righteousness, and, and know what to do with those things and, and do it quickly uh, because of the danger of sin. And so there's a good subject for us to think about, and, and we want to stress throughout that um, for all of us, we would say, well, you know, what does it matter whether I can discern the the smaller details of life or what I do today or uh, God has stressed to us that it's very important. Mm -hmm. uh, that is very true. And I like to summarize the, the idea and the concept of discernment. It just means to think about something that's put before you uh, and to come to a conclusion regarding the truth or falsity or the right or wrongness of whatever it is you're dealing with. And God points out that this is one of the powers that he has implanted in his word. Because uh, Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divisions of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So God is using the word to do some surgery. Mm -hmm. it, it'll slice through everything and it will lay bare what is good and what is bad. It will make the discernment for that because it tells us what is good and, and what is bad. Yeah, uh, It fits in with what Jesus said about the Word of God when he was praying for his disciples. Uh, in John 17, he was shortly to leave, of course, because of his cru uh, crucifixion and burial. Uh, and they were eventually going to be sent out on, into the world on a dangerous mission, proclaiming the gospel in the face of many powerful people who didn't want to hear it. Right. But he asked the Father to sanctify them in his truth and then clarified that and said, your word is truth. So we have that word of truth that is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And sometimes we might have trouble doing that. We're not able to clearly see oh, yeah. you know, why we're doing what we're doing because emotion or desire or whatever clouds that for us. But the Word of God is not affected by that. It says yes or no. Right. And so that helps us to make that judgment or that, uh, that discernment. And that really is our responsibility yeah. to develop that. Um, when Paul was writing to the Philippian brethren, in uh, Philippians 1.9, he said, I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. That's right. So that requires growth on our part. It requires developing our spiritual muscles. Yeah, the, the very next thing he says after that, knowledge and discernment, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent. That's, right. that's what discernment is. is. That's what it's all about. We right? can put the stamp of approval on the things that are good and excellent and upright and holy and and commend brethren for being engaged in those things because the, the, the ability to discern is there. 
And there's, I think with the word discernment too, as I was looking at it, there's also this picture the Bible gives to us of clarity. It's, mm-hmm. There's no fogginess. As you said, there's a lot of things that swirl around us that may complicate what the decision should be. But, but with discernment brings clarity. And I was just looking at, you know, Pharaoh has been told, he's come to realize that Egypt is going to have seven years of plenty and there's going to be seven years of famine. And he says in verse 33, it says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. It's to handle this difficult business that, mm-hmm. that this terrible uh, famine is coming. Verse 39, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. So Pharaoh understands that because you have the ability to discern, you can move forward with this challenge with great clarity. You, you know exactly what's coming. You know how to handle it. And, I'm, and he, Pharaoh gives him everything with the confidence. Does he think he's discerning or not? The answer is mm-hmm. obviously yes, because he puts the entire kingdom into his hands to, to, to tackle this issue, this problem. And we know Joseph does a phenomenal job with that. Of course, he has the help of the Lord with him and all of those things. But uh, that's discernment, and yep. it does matter. And uh, if you look at that, it had taken 13 years for, 13 to 15 years for God to prepare Joseph for that. That's right. Uh, He just didn't all of a sudden wind up in a place where, oh, I can now discern and and I have this area of responsibility. Oh, it took growth and development and exercise and patience and consistency. Joseph had shown himself wise and discerning and faithful in every position he found himself in after he had been dragged to, to Egypt as a slave. In every one of those situations, the cards were stacked against him. Yeah, he was in a really bad spot. Uh, and yet, as we like to say, the cream rises to the top. Mm-hmm. As Joseph demonstrated his abilities and in those difficult situations, let God use that trial to to temper and perfect and purify that, it was recognized. That's right. Pot- uh, the uh, the um, captain of the guard, Potiphar, did the same thing Pharaoh did. He put him in charge of his house. That's right. You know, you, hey, <laughs> all I want is food on my table. You, it's, you run the show. Everything he touched was blessed, and, too. And it was. And then, but even when Potiphar's wife, of course, uh, lied uh, against Joseph, falsely accused him, he winds up in prison. He's basically starting all over again. Yeah. Soon he becomes kind of the guy that's taking care of all the prisoners. Right. And then when, uh, when Pharaoh's servants remember to uh, that this man interpreted dreams when I was in prison, Accurately. he can help you out, Pharaoh. <laughs> he, he said exactly what turned out. You know, you you beheaded the other guy, but you spared me, and that's what he said would happen. Mm-hmm. Now Joseph's ready. And Pharaoh does the same thing. Hey, I'm putting you over my whole kingdom. Yeah. It's your, you run it. Just make sure, you know, everything's cool with me. Just put food on my table. Um, you know, make me make me comfortable, but you run the show. And he told us why, because you're wise, wise and discerning. And, discerning. Yeah. and so it's going to take development on our part too. But um, in, the, in Hebrews, as, as you read through on through chapter 5, the Hebrew writer tells the, the brethren he's writing to, I've got some some heavy stuff to lay on you concerning Melchizedek. And the problem is, is you can't discern it right yep. now because you're babes. You haven't grown to the point where 
by now you should have been teachers, but you still have someone to teach you. Yeah. And so in verse 14, he says, solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. So that's a spiritual muscle. Yeah. It, our minds grow soft and flaccid and almost useless when we don't exercise them, same right. as our body. So if we're not practicing discernment, making wise choices based on the objective standard of God's word, we won't be prepared when a situation comes up that we're not going to be ready for because we don't have the strength. We haven't exercised. We haven't developed that muscle. And so we're not able to perform the way we ought to and make those proper decisions. Yeah. Yeah, he says that the, the babe is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So that verse mm -hmm. 14, as you mm -hmm. said, uh, solid food belongs to those who are full age. And that reason of use. So again, we're applying the word of God as we've come to know and understand it. And not just applying it once a week or occasionally when it favors us, but in every situation with everyone around us in all that we do, that God's word has given us instruction for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Yep. So there's plenty of opportunity to exercise. And there should be a willingness on our part to, to get involved in that and say, Let, let's, let's apply the Word of God in this situation. Let's do what's right. And again, the clarity comes because even in the beginning we say, we're doing this because God has told us is right. Mm -hmm. So whether I understand all that or not, this is what I know. And we're moving forward based on that. And then watch how that works out for you, you know, to, to follow the Lord uh, with all your heart. And, and then your senses are strengthened. You become stronger. And then your ability... Uh, to discern becomes better, and that's a that's a great thing. I think there's a uh, there's reason to give warning on this. You know, some people uh, misuse the word discernment. I think members earlier on in their life in their walk with the Lord, uh, they're learning to discern. I, but I do think, and I don't know if it's universal, but as men and women get older, you know, they'll say, you know, what I discerned about him, you know, <laughs> that, that makes my ears perk up a little bit. Where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure I want to hear this. Um, just because we use the word discern, you know, because I've discerned this, it's true. And, and we're making yeah. judgments on yeah. people that may or may not have been sought out entirely the way God's told us to. Um, and, and there's passages, obviously, in Deuteronomy, there's passages in the New Testament that if, if you hear about something, you think something's being said, search and inquire diligently. First, you have to confirm what, what you think you know. Mm-hmm. And so I think we get to a point sometimes, not necessarily the older Christian, just it's just a temptation to say, well, I know enough now. Now yeah. I know everything about that person. No, you don't. Yeah. Don't do that to yourself and don't do that to them and don't misuse the word discernment. You know, we have to, it takes time. Mm -hmm. Exercise is a real thing. Yeah, the, the, the cloudiness there enters in because we don't know that other person's heart right. and we don't know everything about their life. No. So... As you say, until we get all the background information, it's not possible to make a proper discernment of a situation like that. But when it comes down to deciding between truth and error, uh, some statement or argument you hear uh, about maybe spiritual things or a, the Bible, that is something we can discern because the evidence and the information is given to us. Right. 
we have the truth of the Word of God to compare with that statement. Exactly. And so we can take that statement and properly analyze it, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, and come to a proper discernment. Because you, you can come to an improper discernment. Absolutely. Uh, the early chapters of Proverbs talks all about that. I looked down through my lattice and saw a youth you know, walking in the street, and, and then the harlot starts to allure him, and he turns down the alleyway He's simple. and follows her to, into death. Yep. Well, he did not properly discern that situation. He, he let his emotions, his fleshly lust, carry him away on that. And as we always say, emotion clouds reason. Yeah. Uh, he was not able to properly discern. That's right. And the enemy capitalizes on that. Um, at least to my thinking, there are two things that Satan and his servants uh, can count on in their efforts to deceive people. The first of those is the ignorance of, of the Bible. Mm. That people in our country today really know nothing about what the Bible says. It's a, a big difference back in the 19th century when the Bible was actually the central uh, source of curriculum in schools. Yep. You were taught the, the school's curriculum from the Bible. Wow, what a foreign concept that is today. Uh, you, oh, we can't do that. And yet people went into their adult lives with at least a familiarity of what the Bible basically taught. That's gone. And as Hosea pointed out to Israel, or God saying through Hosea in chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It'll always be true. Yep, Satan... Satan will take advantage of that. And once he does, once you do not have a connection with that objective standard of truth, the result is going to be that you are not going to be able to discern between truth yeah. and lies. We're exposed. We have no way to defend yeah. ourselves. You can't tell false doctrine from, from right. true. And so uh, Paul wrote, warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.2 about those who would speak lies in hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So, especially these days when wickedness has just come out of the closet and is all over the place, mm. you listen to what people say who are against what America stands for, for example, or against the Constitution or against our traditions, but fundamentally against what the Bible teaches. Yeah. And they, they'll say things that are just absolutely nonsensical. Yeah. Uh, they are hypocrites. They'll, turn, they'll say one thing and then <clears throat> turn right around and do something else or say something a day later that completely contradicts what they said the day before. Yeah. And we're sitting there scratching our heads, wondering, where, where are these people coming from? <laughs> well, they're not coming from a standard of truth. They're living in lies, and when you do that, uh, if, you're, if everything you have is built around lies, you're going to run into contradictions. Absolutely. Because it compounds you, you have no consistent standard to go by. It's whatever you are determining is important at the moment. Yep. So Satan has done a very good job in our society of 
of fostering that situation and that attitude and then taking full advantage of it. Yep. People today will not even consider the Bible to be any kind of standard of truth. It's just an ancient document. We can't have this book of myths and old writings that were meant for another culture. That, that doesn't fit with today. It's not relevant. Well, of course, those are lies. But that's, that has undermined that foundation of truth. Yeah, but the good thing is you and I do. In, uh, in a day and age when it's not accepted, you and I are holding fast to it. And those who are listening to this program, most likely every single one of them are at least interested and are thinking about what the Bible presents as truth. Mm-hmm. And so there are there is always a remnant, and the God, God has shown us that as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think something that's helpful, because you're mentioning how Satan uses this to his advantage. One thing I try to do, if I'm being honest, like down the line, I, what I try to do is to ask myself, what's the driving force for my conclusion? Mm. And that's good, because yes. if, if I say, well, the driving force for my conclusion, my conclusion right now is, well, partially truth, but it mostly that... I'll have an advantage tomorrow, whatever that is. You know, so if I can if I can sense or recognize that the driving force behind my conclusion is benefiting myself, then there's a problem already. There's a problem already because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you when you understand the truth, um, it is the high road. It's difficult. It's not going to be easiest for for us to go down that road. And I think it's just a good litmus test. In Exodus 23 and verse eight, uh, Moses is giving instruction to the nation of Israel. And he says to them, you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. So so that's that idea that I'm I'm actually bribing myself. I'll say, well, Mm -hmm. these folks need an answer from me. And if I give this answer and use this one obscure passage that really doesn't fit, uh, then I'll have a lot of good things come my way. That... My driving force is wrong, and so my answer, my conclusion is wrong. Um, I think it's a good way to test it. That's a that's a good insight. Um, that is that is discern that that's a part of discernment itself. Is what exactly. is my motive? Exactly. Then you can discern what's right or wrong. Right. You you have to decide first of all what am I after with this? Is it my own personal gain or is it to uphold the truth? of God and glorify Jesus Christ, whatever it may cost me. Exactly. Uh, and so if you can't answer that question correctly, uh, then whatever action you take comes into question. And now we're at the heart of all of this. Yep. yep. Should I even be involved? Should I even give an answer? Am I the right person? There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they say, oh, let me jump in because then everyone will think I'm super smart or whatever it is. If I'm trying to benefit myself, then I need to rethink. It doesn't mean I'm, doesn't mean I'm absolutely wrong, but it means I need to rethink. Yep how I got here and why I'm trying to serve myself in, in whatever situation is presented to me. And I think too, that there's a challenge for us because we, we do become intelligent in certain areas. You know, we, we, we know and understand certain things. Our discernment is really good at work. And so we, we begin to think too much of ourselves and in Matthew mm-hmm. 16, uh, Jesus, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him, testing him, they said, we want to see a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So he says, look, you, you understand this. And it was a popular saying, red sky at night, sailor take flight. Red sky in the morning, sailor take warning. It was a truth they could live by. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and they taught it to their, you know, to their young and, and everyone knew it and understood it. And he says, so you know how to do that? And yet, as you're dependent on the nature that God has set in front of you, you've missed the greater picture mm-hmm. of the sign of the times. The Son of God is standing in front of you. So again, we say, well, I'm really good at discerning. I think even then, you know, that needs to be discerned. Yes. <laughs> That's right. What's my focus? Why what, are you thinking What that? are my goals? Yep. Right. Am I worried about fishing today or am I, am I more seriously concerned about uh, being found with God in heaven for eternity? You know, I was thinking about that, that passage you just wrote about where Jesus rebuked them for their lack of discernment. You, you can discern the material things of, of this world, but here you are. You've heard Jesus teach. You've seen the mighty wonders that he's done, and you still can't tell what's going on. Yeah. You're, you're not accepting the obvious evidence that is being clearly presented to you right in front of your face because you hate the truth, basically. Yeah. There's, again, emotion and self-service is clouding the issue. You can't make a proper discernment. You can look at this evidence and just brush it aside. Oh, he's doing these miracles by the devil's power. Well, Jesus showed how stupid that is. What a ridiculous statement. But that's what you're reduced to when you will not properly discern that's right. the evidence that is right before you. And that's a dishonest heart. Yeah. The honest heart will say, okay, here's some evidence like the Bereans. Uh, here's what Paul has taught. Let's check it out. Let's use the standard of truth to determine if that's accurate or not. Yep. And once they found that it was consistent with God's revelation, okay, we, we just have no choice then but to accept it. Right. Because that is what is right. And all that it says. Yep. So that's proper discernment. That's not coming and say, wow, if we accept what Paul taught, man, I'm going to lose my position in the synagogue. Or uh, people are going to make fun of me when they come and shop at my store and find out I'm one of those Christians now. Mm. Well, that's not the right motive to discern what is truth and error. Right. Um, so it, it, again, comes back to developing that maturity, exercising your spiritual muscles, your senses, to be able to discern good and evil. And I kind of boil it down, at least for me, to to three things that we need to do to accomplish that. One of them is to consistently be reading the Word of God. Yes. Um, I believe we need to do that every day. Um, some have a, a different approach. That's up to them. That's their part of their relationship with God. But just as I eat food every day for the nourishment of my physical body, uh, I start the morning off, and then throughout the day I'm trying to read at least a portion of God's Word, uh, a regular reading program, or just uh, when a thought comes to mind and, oh, I want to look up that passage. I don't know if I remember that right. Or yeah. I think it'll address this question I have or what I'm looking at. Going to the Word of God and constantly exposing yourself to it. Um, no one is above that because Paul told Timothy to give attention to reading in First Timothy 4.13. So... That's a regular habit yeah. that we should practice. In addition to that, more than just reading, we need to get into what we've read. And of course, that involves study. 
So we need to have, I, I believe, a regular habit of not only personal study, your own private time in the quiet of your home or, or wherever you may be to, that you've set aside for study, but um, group study too. Yeah. And that can be formal or informal. Uh, you can get together with a group of uh, brethren, you know, friends of yours in the church, whatever, and look at a subject or begin studying a book or just have an open discussion on whatever is on your mind that day and relate that to the Word of God. And, of course, the formal opportunities that we have in, in regular organized Bible studies uh, throughout the week. Yeah. Those are a good resource uh, to have on hand to constantly be growing in the Word of God, to be able to use it skillfully, like you pointed out from Hebrews 5.13. Babes are unskillful in the use of the Word. Yeah. Um, and that's a dangerous thing. You, you, when you take a weapon in your hands and you're unskillful in its use, you're probably going to wind up hurting yourself uh, or other people <laughs> you didn't intend because you don't know how to wield that weapon. Right. Yeah, don't, don't put a sword in my hands because I don't know how to use it. Yeah. Um, but this sword, the one that can discern thoughts and intents of the heart, over the years, because of regular exposure and use of it, I've developed a certain level of of skill in using it. And I need to continue to improve that so that God can use it uh, for his purposes. That's right. And then the third way to combat uh, ignorance of the Bible and, and the, the enemy taking advantage of that is to have a consistent practice and habit of prayer. Uh, as Paul told the, the uh, Thessalonian brethren in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean pray without, you know, nonstop every moment of your day. But it means to have consistency. Don't stop praying. Pray That's without right. ceasing. Keep that habit up. Uh, pray for wisdom, as James said, because God will give it to you. But the way he gives it to you is by reading and studying his word. Yeah. So that's, I think, our uh, first big step to... Uh, exercising our minds yeah, to be fantastic. able to discern good and evil. It's fantastic. When you set those things before God, you are it's obviously a serious issue for you. You're giving that to him and saying, I, you know, I want to be able to discern and I want to be able to use your word appropriately and for the for the very reason that you've given it to me. And again, handling that sword correctly to pray about that is very very important. Solomon in 1 Kings 3 and verse 9, he says to the Lord, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good yes. and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? I love all of that statement. That's such a wonderful statement. I can't attitude. do it by myself. Yeah. There's no way I can do this without you. Please give me an understanding heart and the ability to discern between good and evil. And then we see the wisest man that ever lived mm -hmm. make absolutely phenomenal decisions for the people in matters of judgment as they're presented to him uh, overall as a nation um, those who come to hear the wisdom of Solomon that they leave yeah, just amazed yep. at how smart how wise his ability to discern is how quickly he can see through all of the smoke and mirrors mm -hmm. and say here's your problem this is the heart of the matter and, and, and that blew people's minds so we can have that too. 
We can have it yeah. too. And I think we should strive for that. We should pray for that. I love that. I think that's great, Kurt. And in fact, Jesus said, uh, you know, many came uh, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But he says, I can assure you a greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> yes. And, and we I'm get to hear him talk. to himself. Yeah. yeah. And we get to hear his wisdom. That's right. So we can be wiser than Solomon because we can listen to one who's greater than Solomon. And Solomon was the wisest king that Israel ever had because God had, he granted that request that Solomon gave. Yep. Uh, richly blessed him in wisdom. And as you said, he was able to look at some very difficult, knotty issues and cut right through that knot. That's right. And, and solve the problem. Yep. But uh, one final thing I think we need to do to develop that ability to discern is to know how to think critically. Mm. Um, Satan has done a very good job of nullifying that in America. Schools don't teach it anymore. If parents don't know what it is, they can't pass it on to their children. Uh, and someone might ask, well, what, what do you mean critical thinking? Well, it just means you don't accept everything you hear. Right. You think about it. You get behind it and meditate on what's being said. Ask questions about it. And then follow that, that point or that issue through to its logical conclusion. Mm -hmm. And find out, you know, decide if that conclusion is acceptable or not. Um, one way I taught our sons... Uh, critical thinking is like when we would hear a commercial on the radio. We didn't have a TV, so we didn't see commercials there. But, you know, you'd hear, you know, nine out of ten doctors recommend this. Well, wow, nine out of ten doctors, that sounds impressive. Must be a great product. I'll go buy it. Wait a minute. Ask some questions. Yeah. Which doctors were these? Yeah. Was it just 10 doctors and nine of them went one way and there was only one guy opposed? Or did they take a poll? Was it, were a thousand doctors involved in this and this was the average that 90% of them said it's good? Uh, who are these doctors? Right. Who do they work for? Are they, do they, are they affiliated with this company that says we have such a great product? Or, <laughs> yeah. or is this an objective conclusion? Yeah. What's their you know, PhD in? Yeah, you, yeah. What what kind of a doctor are they? <laughs> you know, they're endorsing antidepressants, and they're they're a foot doctor. Or something, you know, <laughs> so what? It, so that you just start getting behind the the facade, right? And I'm afraid that so many people today, especially in spiritual matters in the realm of religion, basically have fallen into the trap of just parroting what they hear. Yeah. They've heard over and over again that you can't lose your salvation, you can't fall from grace, and so they just parrot that. Which and impacts the way they live. Yeah, and it all changes everything. Yeah. They don't, okay, what does God's Word have to say about that? Right. What are the conclusions that that leads to if I can't lose my salvation? Yeah. Well, then, things I do can't affect my salvation. It's worth asking that question. That's a, that's a logical conclusion. Yeah. And so then you accept that. Where do you go? Well, I can kind of do what I want. Since I'm saved, 
I can't lose my salvation, so I don't have to diligently uh, watch my step and follow the ways of the Lord. I can sort of wander off my own way every now and then, and everything's cool. Well, that is an unacceptable conclusion mm-hmm. because you're drifting away from the Lord, and Hebrews 2 warns against that. We, can, we need to keep our eye on Jesus lest happily we drift away. It's possible to do that if you don't have your eyes set on the proper landmark. And perhaps we'll address that more in the future. We think we're planning eventually on talking about Pilate's question, what is truth? Yeah. We'll look into that a little bit more, the Lord willing. Yes, sir. I just got a thing in the mail yesterday that it claims, just as you're saying, but it claims that 70% of teens and preteens um, have expressed serious doubts about faith and even mm-hmm. what it is. And these are yep. church-going children. Yeah, they they just no one's ever challenged them to that to say you know it's, it's, it's about taking hold of what's being said to you, uh, searching it out diligently, and then coming into conclusion on those matters that that your faith is established and begins to grow and develop, and, and it guides your life. And uh, kids are either ignorant of what it really is, or they have serious questions about what it is and how it how it plays a role in our life. So that's that's scary, you know. If that's true, then it goes back to what you're saying. You tell your kids to to uh, to learn to discern. Look look into it. What does this mean to you? Um, and why did you reach that conclusion? You know, ex- explain your thinking um, to me or you know to someone else. Doesn't have to be to me, but just it's an exercise where we work that out and uh, and and share it with others because then you now you have a real testing ground. Mm-hmm. If you come to a conclusion again for whatever the reason may be, but you do it in an echo chamber or you just do it in your own heart. Uh, then there's there's no way to get any response from that, or someone to say, well, this verse says this, so we can't forget about that, you know. And then again, you just kind of mm-hmm. get get in the center of where you're supposed to be. That takes effort, and uh, not many want to work too hard for anything, really. Uh, we never have. I, I shouldn't say that, you know, today we're super lazy, but if we can get it easy, we'll take it easy. And, and yeah, uh, instant gratification. Now. Yeah, it's a real problem I hear. Yeah, but. But that is a challenge for us to fight through and say, no, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look through this. It's a good to have people around you that you love and trust mm-hmm. who also know the Word of God. And, uh, and the ones who are really strong in that, you know, try to emulate them. I, we know good brethren that just say, well, in this verse, and they give us book, chapter, and verse. Then they quote it word for word. And yeah. I, I, I notice that, and I say, man, this guy's not just sitting and listening to two sermons a week. He's doing yeah. his own personal study. He's reading, studying, and praying. And now he's applying it in daily conversations. That's right. So yeah, that is amazing to me, and I, yeah. I love to the see it. The Word of God is a discerner. There's evidence, right, yeah. that we're learning to do this the right way. Mm-hmm. There's evidence. And even in that, when you say, well, the Bible says this, therefore I'll do that, you also lend yourself to being challenged. Yep. If another brother says, yeah. well, You need to be willing careful. to do that. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's have that conversation because I'm trying to improve. So... It, only good can come from that when you're around people who love the Lord, who love you, and uh, and who want to be faithful to the Word of God. So all that's really, really good for us. Mm-hmm. Discern. Learn to discern. We have trivia questions. Dun-dun. <laughs> Dun-dun-dun. Trivia. Sweet trivia. do this week that's, that's right that's the question i'm going to give you 100 in advance oh and let me tell you i'm going to give you half the reason why i'll right start now. with 100 and then you'll deduct from that <laughs> no no i'm not 
There is no red pin here at all. So look, I'll be halfway right all of a sudden. Right, right off the first question. What tribe was Paul from? <laughs> Benjamin. Correct. <laughs> Philippians 3 and verse 5. So I'm half right already. Hey, there you go. What's my first question and the rest of the world's? <laughs> okay. Uh, this is uh, from Genesis 7-6. How old was Noah when the flood began? 600. 600 what, Danny? Oh, okay. <laughs> not minutes. No, you are you are correct. Yes, six hundred years, years old when the flood began. Nice. Yep. All right, we're doing good. Yeah. Uh, number two for you. Who said this? Uh oh. You almost persuaded me to uh, become a Christian. That was King Agrippa in Acts twenty six. Very good. Acts twenty six and verse twenty eight. King Agrippa says to Paul, "You almost persuaded me to become a Christian." Mm. Yep, and I love how Paul addressed that. He just I would to God. Yeah, I would to God that you were just as I am, that you and everyone here would be just as I am except for these chains. That's right. Uh, he, he didn't let that... And we don't... One thing when you read the Bible, you don't know, you're not hearing that conversation. So you don't know the tone of voice and the inflection. Was that... Was that just uh, Agrippa blowing it off? Or did he seem to be serious? Well, Paul was there and he knew it and he didn't let that point just go. He drove it home. That's right. And he thought I it was wish you would That's right. become a Christian. That is my I desire. Am. Yeah. Right. Be like me. Be a Christian. Yep. A servant of the Lord Jesus. We don't know if Agrippa ever did. But, uh, but just as Jesus prophesied to him, he got to preach the gospel to a king. Yeah, and uh, he laid it out for him. Yeah, I think Felix was the one who who just he yes. got real uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, much learning is making you mad, Paul. Yeah, he didn't like. And so again, the word has this power. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's discerning. It's forcing people to move yeah. either one direction or another. So, and Agrippa tried. Or to actually, it was it was Festus. Uh, no, it was most noble Felix. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, because the the previous governor. When he heard Paul proclaim the gospel, he grew fearful. Mm -hmm. When he heard Paul preach of righteousness and judgment and the judgment to come. Because the Holy Spirit convicts. Yeah. So there's that power of the Lord, of the word to yeah. discern, and it will expose those thoughts to yourself. Okay, so I get my second one. Uh, there are three prominent Johns in the New Testament. Who are they? Prominent. John the Apostle has to be one. Certainly. Yep. John the Baptist. Indeed. And the third one is going to be tough for me. He's not normally referred to as John. Oh, Mark. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Man, I don't think I would have come up with that because I'm done thinking, John, I'm thinking there's got to be something where I can remember his name, John the something. You know, yeah, but, yeah. No. John, who's also, her surname is Mark. Yep, Acts 2.12, as states said. And uh, John, whose surname was Mark, accompanied Paul and Silas on their first mission. He is journey. prominent, especially in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. his, uh, the disciples are gathered in his mother's home uh, when Peter knocks on the door. Yep. He, he comes yeah. in and out of the scene pretty frequently in the mm -hmm. book of Acts. So, nice. And, and we think uh, with him 
abandoning Paul and Silas after their first mission. During their before they even got to Asia, they landed. They landed in port there, and Mark just bailed, and Paul was not thrilled about that. Mm -hmm. But it says that Barnabas took Mark with him to Cyprus, and apparently they preached the gospel there. We know that Mark uh, also helped Peter. He was yeah. a, he was a, a companion of Peter in his work. And then later on, Paul could say when he was in prison, "Be Mark, uh, bring Mark with you, for he is profitable for me in the ministry." Yeah. So Mark grew, and uh, Paul was discerning enough <laughs> to see that Mark today is different from the Mark that abandoned right. me. My know, previous conclusion ago. is now changed yep. because the facts have changed. Change. Yep. I see the evidence. My evaluation is now going to be different. Yeah, so. that's good. That's a great way to apply all of that. Yeah. Nice. Good deal. We yeah. scored 100% all around. You're, we both You're did. a prophet, Danny. Look at that. <laughs> Neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. <laughs> there you go. But I did prophesy that. Yeah, you got that one right. Well, good. We hope you all did well. Also, we hope and pray, as we always do, that uh, this has been a profitable study for you, that you found something here today that you can take home in your heart and your life and, and apply that and, and be diligent to, to discern uh, appropriately all the things that are set before you each and every day. May God keep you and bless you as you serve him faithfully. Amen.